It's episode 51 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. And hey, J.P., when the Brewers are out on the West Coast, do you get any sleep at all? It depends. I sometimes don't watch them, uh, but I did watch them on the night that they made the Moustakas trade. So on that time, uh, I was already up doing some reading anyway, so then I just ended up shifting some focus to the brewers instead of uh the book i was reading so what time was that for you it was, it was after like one o'clock in the morning wasn't it yeah i definitely went to bed at like two or two fifteen. yeah you had to uh, ryan are you one to stay up for all that oh i've been up because uh fish has been on the west coast as well <laughs> so i've been listening true. to fish shows <laughs> while watching brewers it's been great yeah like it's this was a wonderful confluence of events yeah i've been able to to watch a few of the weekend games and then the ones that were a little bit more difficult i could see you guys were like shooting messages back and forth at like midnight, one o'clock. Yeah. So yeah, I can vouch you guys are up watching a lot of that. So, hey, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You, you can also follow the three of us on Twitter and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which is coming up. And we have a guest on the next podcast or sometime, maybe another week down the road. No, it'll be on the next minor league podcast. JP, who do we have? We're going to have uh, Brewers pitcher John Perrin come in and talk a little bit about what it's like uh, being with the new minor league organization down down in Mississippi. Uh, talk about his his career and where he sees it going. But then we're going to talk a lot about uh, minor league labor issues and things that he's really passionate about as well. So trying to get a good bit of uh, different perspectives coming from somebody who is you might have heard him on the Effectively Wild podcast. He's done some interviews with uh, with Fangraphs, but we're hoping to get more of a Brewer-centric view on him uh, for this upcoming month, which will be great. So, yeah, again, if you want that full interview, you can join the Minor League Extra. Uh, join us on Patreon for the Minor League Extra podcast. Um, otherwise, we probably will run at least a snippet of it on the main podcast. So look for that. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is Carbon 4's October Ale, their Oktoberfest-style ale. This ale is fermented in a near lager temperature and is an attempt to capture that magic in a glass. Soft toffee notes are wrapped up in a blanket of flavors of fresh baked bread. That's a lot of F's. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of F's. Uh, The whole experience is accented by a pleasant and subtle woodsy experience provided by a whiskey-soaked blend of French and American oak. The best kinds of oak. Whiskey-soaked, you mean? I don't know, French or American. Oh, okay. You like your whiskeys. You're the one who can speak to that a little more. Sure. Bur- yeah, I mean, bourbons? Yeah, more, more scotch. I mean, bourbon's fine, but more scotch. Okay. Uh, try it for yourself and see if you can fight the urge to jump in a freshly raked pile of leaves. And hopefully you can put that off for a couple months. God, it's not even August yet. No, it's not. But they're going to fall soon enough. I think... I think the Packers are doing something up in Green Bay. You don't even have any trees left anymore. Like you don't have really like a lot of raking to do as it stands. Nope. So I just roll around in the lawn like an idiot. 
So, anyways, you can find it at the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or at your local retailer. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of, manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and Mix Pre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so uh, the week got pretty interesting, even though there was a lot of stuff going out on the West Coast. Um, but before we get into that, I, I kind of want to get your guys' <laughs> Sorry. perspective. Sorry, we I do have the stop. game on. Yeah, did Ed Cedar just get hit by a ball or he something? Just, Lorenzo Kane just hit Ed Cedar's ass. That is pretty much what that looks like. It's a little far off in the distance here, hard to see, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Okay. I guess that's one of the 13 days of Eddie or whatever, 12 days of Eddie. Do you hear about that? So no. Cedar got Kane or Kane got Cedar's number. Cedar used to be six. So Kane had to do a bunch of like things for Cedar, like 12 different like tasks or whatever it was. I feel like that would involve a lot of like chopping wood. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think it mostly involves like coffee runs. <laughs> like he brings in Starbucks. <laughs> no, Ed Cedar does not drink Starbucks. He drinks something much more. I think he finds like a paper towel and just runs some water (laughs) through whatever, whatever ground brown thing he can find. That seems like the kind of coffee he'd drink. Ed Ed Cedar gets any kind of coffee that's not Maxwell House and be like, this was good enough for my dad. He just he just takes a pinch of the the beans of the ground up beans and sticks it in between his cheek and and gums and man they use they actually have done like legit not joking they've actually made some of like basically kind of chewing tobacco packs but with uh, coffee grounds instead to try really? to help people get off of uh, chewing tobacco but still giving them kind of like the buzz from caffeine that they've actually done it where it's legitimately just coffee grounds to try to, to help people uh, make the transition. I don't remember what they're called anymore. It's I'm sure it's something like actually intelligent, but. Hmm. Um, okay. Well, last thing I the think more, you know, right? Yeah. I would guess Ed Cedar. <laughs> All this just because Ed Cedar took a ball off the ass. Ed Cedar drinks Senka. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways. Hey, that was fun. Uh, real quick. What were your thoughts on Josh Hader getting booed this week? JP, any feelings on that? I mean, I know as a fan, I was kind of watching it, and there's a little bit of like, I don't know, these guys are just trying to give it to him. But a little part of me is like, you know, we should probably just take it. Well, I mean, as fans, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't bother me. Um, I mean, it's not like, I think one of the really interesting things about the Josh Hader thing is that a lot of Brewers fans have taken the booing of Josh Hader as a booing of Brewers fans. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, I I think there was a little bit of that. Well, I think more than a little bit because that there was there was criticism of Brewers fans cheering Josh Hader, but it's not like the Giants fans were self aware enough to be able to say, "Oh, Josh Hader's coming in, we're booing him," to be able to make a social commentary on the Brewers fans who stood up and gave him an ovation. Like they were just booing Hader. But that did, I mean, obviously the the ovation from Saturday, which we were at the game, and. You could see a group more towards home plate, behind home plate. It was the expensive seats, Steve. They were. Oh uh, no, they it were was standing. right. Not, it was in our section. Well, as well, we were in that. We were in the loge level. Yeah, we weren't like that far from all of it. But I, to say the entire stadium was standing would be a misrepresentation. 
No, no, but there were people in our section that were turning oh, around yeah. and demanding people to stand up. See, you saw that. I didn't see that. I must not have been paying attention to that. I mean, I don't know. I just, not just that, like, like we were all sitting down taking notes of what was happening. But just like when they uh, sing "God Bless America," I was up getting a beer. So, well, that's okay. I uh, when we were taking the shuttle back, everybody was singing Johnny Cash. Uh, Ring of Fire. Yes. On yes. the way back. And I turned to Steve because we're sitting next to each other. And I was like, is there a reason why everybody just broke out into song? And the person next to me said, if you're an American, you know all the words to this song. Uh, and I said, well, that's that's tough news for me then, I guess. And she goes, I guess so. <laughs> Go back to Ireland. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Why aren't we singing Irish Eyes or Smiling? What are, why, why aren't we doing this? Sing about your Danny first- boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's have a fine Irish wake on the bus on the way back uh, after the game. So anyways, yeah, I mean, the hater thing picked up a little bit of steam. They got criticized nationally. I know the Daily Show even had like a, a quick segment on Josh Hader getting that ovation. Well, and Brewers fans. That one was specifically talking about Brewers fans. Yes, it was talking about yeah. the fans giving an ovation like that. I mean, I was a little bit surprised from the reports that we heard about. I mean, you could hear booing when he came in. What was it? Thursday night in San Francisco. You could hear booing, but I was expecting, and I tweeted out right before that, that Frisco has a reputation as being a heckler's paradise. And I've seen it. I've been in the stands there and have been heckled. And it, like, well, they're loud and they're creative and they're. And the nasty. bullpen's just off the. Um, yeah. The, the, what, right field line? Yeah. And also the fact that it's San Francisco. So, like, if any place is going to have a lot of baseball fans who are going to be particularly offended by some of the things that he said, San Francisco is one of the more liberal metropolises in the country. So like you also have that aspect of it. And apparently people weren't booing him as loudly as I had expected. Like it wasn't as nasty and as no, well, it, didn't, it didn't come no, through I as mean, loud, but you have to expect people would have to be sitting there staring down at the bullpen, waiting for him to come in. Well, no, when he was announced, yeah, I, but I how many people that, pay attention to the announcements of the relievers when they're sitting at a game? If you were waiting for Josh Hader to come in, you would pay attention to that. You get well, six right, to seven. The point is that nobody was waiting for Josh Hader to come in. No, apparently not. Right. Yeah, but I so I think a couple of things. Number one, I think it highlights how much, like how much this kind of stuff is is very. Um, ephemeral, right? Like it comes up, it's a big deal and it's gone so quickly because we've seen this again and again. You would think that Aroldis Chapman would get booed every time that he comes in for all of the stuff that he had with domestic violence. Everyone's forgotten about that. Or if you have forgotten about it, you're not going to stand up and boo him. It's the same sort of thing with Josh Hader. There are a lot of people that may still be extremely offended by it um, that are not going to boo just because in in some ways, what's what's the point? Um, But there are a lot of people that also have just moved on i mean there are a lot of goodness knows there are so many things to get mad at um (laughs) these days right like it i it's very difficult to sustain especially as a road fan it's difficult to sustain the kind of 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 anger that it would take or the kind of uh social commentary to be able to boo hater i think what you will see and we talked about this beforehand you will see cubs fans do it you'll see cardinals fans do it you'll see reds fans do it but that's because they want to be able to take a shot at brewers fans it's not actually anything about hater sure well some of it is will be, some of it some of it's going to be genuinely directed at hater eh, too. you know what it's, some of it 
I'm not saying how much. Th- there is a portion of it, but most of it is you're you're heckling the other fans. How much is Hater protected just from the fact that he comes in kind of in the middle of the game somewhere? Like, you know, like a closer, you know, like it's the ninth inning, whatever, you know, big time closer is going to come in the game. Everybody can gear up for it. Hater can come in, you know, any kind of range of innings. Well, and he came in mid inning both times so far. Yeah. So like. He doesn't open an inning. Yeah. That that also might be something that's by design. Who knows? We'll, well see. He he's going to get he's going to get an earful in L.A. if he pitches in L.A., which yeah. I'm assuming. He and might. well, he just needs to take it. You know what? Sorry, you made those choices and now they're uh, kind of coming back on you. So sure. Yeah, of course. Anyways, let's get some more baseball stuff. Uh, Brewers made a couple trades this week. That was exciting. We didn't have to wait until the deadline to see a flurry of moves. No. And what do we yeah. have for the deadline? We're it's Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. Four? Yeah. Like Is there a three o'clock. in the Midwest? Yeah, sometime in the afternoon. Whatever. I'm sure everybody... Well, there's always that kind of flex period in there, too, where deals can be made right before the deadline, but you don't hear about it until... if you get that fax in or not. Yes. (laughs) Well, this isn't the end, though. You have to... I thought it wasn't a fax. I thought that was only the NCAA at this point. I'm pretty sure it's... I'm pretty sure it's still fax. I mean, that's how it is in in the EPL for for transfers, too. You still have to get the fax in. That's cute. They have an errand boy who has to run it up the stairs. Tubes (laughs) Tubes <laughs> quickly, vacuums. yeah. Put it in two vacuums. <laughs> Pneumatic tubes. There's a helicopter <laughs> blowing wind up the tube. <laughs> um, anyways, okay. First trade the Brewers made. They got Joaquin Soria from the White Sox. White Sox, yes. <laughs> I was, was going to say Chicago, and I'm like, wait, there's two teams. Yeah. Uh, so that beefed up their uh, bullpen a little bit. They gave up uh, Cody Medeiros and Wilbur Perez. I mean, should we talk about the? what they gave up first Medeiros still strikes me as a guy that the ceiling to be an impact pitcher at the big league level, I think is still there. He's not, what do you mean impact uh, to be able to be really, really good probably as a reliever would be the more likely path or to, if everything were hold to, on, is so, there any chance that Cody Medeiros JP, is there any chance Cody Medeiros is the starting pitcher in the major leagues? I would say that there still is a chance because we've seen more and more if he were to go to like the Rays and they only want to use him twice through through. Absolutely. I think that you could see a team start to try to give somebody who's only, you know, throws two pitches. What a starting pitcher is going to mean in in three, four years from now, we're not necessarily sure. But as like currently constructed, or can he be somebody who goes five, six innings? The likelihood on that is is pretty low at this point. Yeah, they didn't give up a guy who could traditionally be a starting pitcher. It would be unlikely, but the most so the most likely spot he would impact would be in the bullpen. But there's a non-zero chance of starting. But the chances, like what is he I like most, how you hang on non-zero? Okay. What is yes. he most likely to be? A middle reliever, like that's most likely he's most going likely to be a, is a middle reliever, or is most likely a loogie. What he's most likely to be is Dan Jennings. Sure. Well, Dan Jennings with better pure stuff, but maybe a little bit less pitching <laughs> what pitchability i mean what does that mean jp can you parse that i think what he means is that he has a little bit more swing and miss stuff but can't necessarily sequence or uh command the zone as well that not that dan jennings necessarily commands the zone all that well but i think i mean what everybody wants to say and the most common thing that is comes that comes out is is a comp to josh Hader because of the arm angle and i don't think that that is right um not only do you not compare people to Josh Hader, and we say that all the time, but 
the stuff I don't yeah, the fastball is not as good. Uh, the slider, I think, is actually better than than haters. Um, but the command is poor. Uh, we haven't been able to see him dominate hitters in the same way that Hater was able to do in the minors. Um, well, and Hater remained a starting pitcher in the minors. Absolutely. But I, I will say, and we talked about this in the minor league pod, there were pretty loud reports about Madero's coming in from the spring. Um, that hasn't necessarily translated in a bunch in terms of uh, results. Of, I think he pitched actually pretty well in April. But aside from that, I think it's been pretty up and down. But I think really what you're looking at is they're getting somebody to come in and try to to add another premium uh, reliever for the back end of the bullpen. They had to give up somebody who could potentially be an impact guy out of the bullpen. And then they gave up Wilbur, uh, Wilbur Perez, who, you know, Wilbur Ross. <laughs> Good, yeah. Let's talk about the economy. Um, <laughs> Wilbur Perez. Um Wilbur Paris, who uh, nobody knows anything about. I was just going to ask you, is there any report on uh, Wilbur Perez? No, me and some of the uh, the BP team uh, for the who need to put together the transaction analysis. um, We've been trying to actually like get a scouting report on Wilbur Perez. Okay, here's a question: Uh, Did Ryan spell it correctly on the rundown? And if he didn't, would you be able to tell? He did spell it correctly. Oh, he did. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not Wilbur in the pig. I don't know. It could have been a U. <laughs> he did misspell Madero's though. So okay. So uh, I always spell Madero's. I'm actually that's probably from my perspective the best thing about this is I have to you don't stop typing Madero's it anymore. anymore. Okay. So I always misspelled it. So how does this affect the bullpen? Um, because uh, you know we're seeing Matt Elbers is back pitching. And now you have Soria in the bullpen as well. I mean, it lengthens the number of no shit shutdown guys you have available to you. Um, well, I guess who's all available? I mean, so Knable is still in that group. I know a lot of people <laughs> don't want to put him in that group, but he's still in that group. Uh, obviously, Hader and Jeffress are, you know, there's, I think those are the four that you want to, in a tight game that you are winning. Wait, so you have Knable, Hater, Jeffress, and Soria. Soria. Are the are you the have real... Albers? Right. And then the next group would be Albers, um, Williams, and uh Jennings, who are all good in their own right, but I don't think they have and, quite the And Corbin Burns. Well, Burns is the one Well that, that was gonna that's kind of what I was trying to get to. And uh, yeah, Burns absolutely. and Burns is the guy who at this point, looks like he belongs totally with that first group, but it might be better for them to consider putting him back in the rotation at some point. I mean, JP, is is this a matter of Burns? Is he staying up, or is he just going to kind of be the odd man out when they need a roster spot because he has the ability to go up and down? I think it'd be. I think it'd be not. I was about to say criminal, but that's not the word I want. It, I think it would be an absolute shame if they're trying to maximize their bullpen or maximize their pitching staff for them to send Corbin Burns down. Um, he's one of the best pitchers in the bullpen right now. And I think in terms of what Soria gives, Soria gives flexibility to start playing around with where you put in guys like Jeffress again. One of the big things that the bullpen was so good at and, and, 
Craig Council did again and again is is Jeffress was used in the fifth inning, the sixth inning. You know, he was he was used as a fireman, basically come in in a really tough spot and do the dirty work to be able to keep a one two run lead, whatever it was. Kind of like we saw Corbin Burns do on the game on Saturday when we were there, come in in a really tough spot and kind of wiggle out of it. But Jeremy Jeffress has now more and more been used as kind of an eighth inning guy. And I think what bringing Soria in, now they have four really good arms, not including Corbin Burns, at the back end of the bullpen that they can be extremely flexible with. And it sounds like they're being more and more, at least rhetorically willing, to consider using Corey Knebel in some space out of a closing role. Do we think this bullpen's going to continue to be an elite bullpen then through the rest of the, the remainder of the season, I guess? Because, you know, there was a little bit of like, there were some hiccups. Hater had a little bit of a rough stretch. You know, Jeffress is Jeffress wasn't perfect. perfect. Can, well, exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's for, what it was. It was Jeffress was Jeffress less than perfect. perfect. Knebel's, you know, ability to locate his curveball comes and goes, and that's a big deal for him. It goes yeah. from lights out to like this guy's not going to get an out. Yeah. But does this lengthen the bullpen? Do you think it kind of solidifies them now for this this final stretch run? You know, the August September run. Yeah, I mean, it gives them just a really enviable depth. I don't know that anybody has this kind of depth outside of the Yankees because they're just you know filthy with relievers, even better so than what the Brewers have. But yeah, I mean, they're. The Brewers are positioning themselves to be able to, through the stretch run and hopefully the playoffs, to be able to absolutely get away from, you know, anytime a starter gets in trouble, they can basically jump ship on them and not worry about handing over the game to a variety of arms in the bullpen. Yeah. How many innings does a starter have to go for this bullpen now, JP? Okay. I think probably five or six still. Like I mean, I think that's still what you want. But in the really, regular season, in but, the regular season, that's really all you're shooting for. Like starters get through the lineup twice. Yeah. Oh, certainly. And in the postseason, that changes totally. Yeah, it does. And I mentioned well, that. Let's, I don't let's deal with that last, when we get there. I, yeah, I, said I don't remember if this was last week. But like we keep hearing again and again. I don't know why everyone thinks it has to be Wade Miley, but everyone's like, "Do you really want Wade Miley starting the wild card game?" Which why would they start Wade Miley in the wild card game? And why would like, you start well, your worst comes, starter in the wild card game? What if it comes up and it's his turn? I was like, then you bullpen the game. Like then you have Corbin Burns go two three innings you have josh Hader go two three innings you have jeremy jeffers go two innings right like that's what you're gonna do and being able to add somebody like soria allows you to be able to have the flexibility down the stretch if they do need to bullpen a game well and in the wild card or if it's a the 160 second game and they need to win it council do that sorry council keeps saying they're all out getters and i think that people want that to be a I think they want to see that on a daily basis in a way that I I don't know that's practical. You want to have guys who kind of know-ish over the course of 162 when they're going to come in. But when you get to the – I think when that really is going to matter is the postseason. Like, I don't see him having any trouble just being super creative and throwing out whoever to get through a game. Like you said, bullpen a game. You know, if that's, if that's what they need to do to get through a game in the postseason – I don't think there's going to be, or even down the stretch in the in the stretch run. I don't think there's going to be any issue with that. No, I don't. I think Council would be perfectly happy doing that, and that's why he's been, you know, saying what he's been saying and setting that all up. You know, 
Okay, so the Soria trade probably isn't even the biggest trade they made of the week. Since I think we were all surprised coming through, you know, midnight around here in Wisconsin, uh, the Brewers traded for a a Mike Moose Moose Tacos Moose Tacos Moose yeah. Tacos Mike Mustakis, uh, which was interesting because everybody thought the Brewers were going to go out and get a second baseman. There had been some early connection to Mustakis, so it didn't come out of left field. No, they there had been talk of that in the offseason. There had been talk of, of Mustakis, but they go out and get Mustakis. Uh, they give up Brett Phillips. Um, and Jorge Lopez. Jorge Lopez. Oh yeah, I'm like there's something else I, I know. It. Yeah, I'm like it's it was a, it was a name. He's he's got some major league time. Um, and the biggest deal with this is probably Travis Shaw is going to get a lot of time at second base. I mean, that's been such a point of discussion. And well, it is a lot. Of, it, it's not a position he's played before. No, it's not. Well, you, you know, and we like to say, well, like, oh, if you play this position, you should be able to move. And then there's always the reference to. Moneyball, sure. Where uh, was it? Ron Washington, his line. Oh, it's yeah. It's well, incredible. I think it was more the movie. That line. was just in the movie. Yeah, but but moving to first base, it's incredibly difficult. And that was from a catcher to first base. I, my take on this, as far as Shaw moving over there, the biggest issue is the footwork and the mechanics around the bag are going to be what he has to learn. Him taking fielding balls over there and making throws from over there when he fields a ball that's not that's not at all foreign to him he's been shifted over there so much this season and last that none of that is new so that's a non-concern the issue is the mechanics and the footwork of turning a double play and i don't think we've seen that yet i don't think we've had to see him we haven't it doesn't mean it didn't happen later in this game so Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's a, but that's still an unknown. And I think that's a, a fair point. And we'll see. He is big for the position, but the way that things have transpired in baseball now with all the shifting, and especially with all the shifting the Brewers do, you are getting guys, it, range in the infield is not. Hopefully they're putting him in a position. They're to putting make him plays. in a position to make plays, and range is not the the critical factor that it used to be. I guess. Yeah. So, so uh, JP is Mustakis an upgrade defensively at third base? I mean, Shaw is fine, but Mustakis at one time, I think when he was younger, was considered a plus defensive. Well, third I think baseman. they're both fine. Um, I think if you look at the defensive metrics, some some years you see Moustakas getting just big numbers uh, defensively and I think it was last year um, they kind of had fallen a little bit but this year his defensive numbers have rebounded a little bit so I think it's fair to say that he's fine Um, a good solid defensive third baseman I think the the biggest point defensively that I don't know has been mentioned all that much is the fact that they do have Orlando Arcia back uh, in the infield, right? And there is some potential that the biggest question in terms of his range, and we've we've mentioned that, is not necessarily what he does when he gets to the ball, because we all feel pretty comfortable with Travis Shaw with it. He made a spectacular over-the-shoulder catch, right? When he gets there, <laughs> he, can, he can get it done. But it's being able to range up the middle. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually move Orlando Arcia a little bit to basically make him say anything up the middle is yours you cannot expect travis shaw to get there you have to get there does arcia have to be just like the full-time shortstop no chance he's going back down to triple a anything because they need him defensively now with this uh i guess configuration 
it could be. I there there's obviously still some chance that they make that they make a move, but I think at this point the real benefit to having somebody like Saladino at shortstop was the fact that he was actually hitting a little bit better and that has seemingly gone away. And maybe this does change the calculus a little bit. Maybe this is why he was actually called up. Maybe they knew that they were thinking about this trade and they needed to be able to upgrade their infield defense as much as possible. I don't, we don't necessarily know the conversation behind, um, behind that, but it does. And I tweeted about this as well. Um, the Brewers production at second base has been one of the worst in all of baseball. Um, as before Saturday's game, um, there they, it was a 0.0 wins above replacement over the course of the entire year. It was fourth worst in all of baseball. Wolf. It was their uh, weighted wins, wins uh, or runs created was 32% below league average at second base. And so offensively, overall, however you want to slice it, their production at second base was terrible. Basically, wins above replacement. Obviously, people know take your take your ever whoever random triple A second baseman, plug him in at second base, give him a run out, see how he performs. That's basically the level that they were doing, and arguably that's what they did with Nate Orff. Um so in order for somebody like Shaw, who has a better bat to not be an upgrade, he has to be epically bad defensively. Yeah, Which it, I guess is I guess is it's, possible, it's possible, but it seems really but unlikely. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't guess that'll happen. I think if that was if that was a probability, they wouldn't have made the move. Especially because they were working him out there yes. beforehand, right? Like they had and the fact that they're working out Mustakas at second base now too. It sounds like he's oh, actually have they been doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah, he that said when he came they're over, basically he was willing. saying we're going to see how this works. Um, and and it's important to remember that Mustakas actually came up as a shortstop. So he has a little bit of uh, more seasoning, I guess, as a well, as an infielder. But before the the girth set in. Well, and he's also six feet in the way to six four in the way so. that in the way that I think uh, was it Gilbert Lara went out as a shortstop as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question is now, what does this do for the lineup? So you get a lefty power bat, uh, adding that to the, the middle of the order. I don't think they're going to want to, he's not going to bat in the back of the order. I think, you know, cause we were trying to figure out a way that they were going to prop up the back end of that, that lineup. I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like he's a pretty, I feel like he's a six hitter, a five, six hitter, something like that, but he's not a big, on, he's not a big on base guy, right? low batting average. I mean, he takes his walks. He, he takes a, a reasonable amount of walks, but he's not walking like Eric Thames. No, or, no, no, no. But uh, you know, he bats you know. 245 and on bases 305 or something like that. Like, right. It's not zero walks. No, but you know, he's not going to be an on base machine either. No, it, it, JP actually brought this up. I'll let him talk about it, but the, it is interesting to see that they, they've been going after guys who have not, been big strikeout guys when they've added bats over the last couple of years. Oh, I thought you were going to say they just add Royals. Well, that too. <laughs> Lord would be very happy. Isn't <laughs> yeah. Well, it is kind of funny. You, you you grab a bunch of Royals on offense, then you build a, a bullpen. Yeah, they are kind of running they, the the Royals model. Are they running JP? Do you think it's the Royals model? Is that what this is now? 
I don't I don't necessarily know if that's that's the entire model. I think that they're going and getting quality royals, uh, which helps. <laughs> um, and not paying 140 million for Mike or for Eric Cosmer. Oh, turns out that that uh, isn't everybody's cup of tea. Um, <laughs> it wasn't but, the Royals cup of tea. They didn't want him for that. But uh, I will. I think one of the I know that people um, have taken kind of the low K thing just to be kind of a platonic ideal as a whole, just saying like they're going after guys who don't strike out a lot. They're going after good hitters who don't strike out a lot. And you will, you will probably not be surprised to learn uh, who is the team right now that this year has the second lowest strikeout rate, all of baseball. It's, it's the Astros. It's a, it's where David Stearns comes from. It's exactly what, if you're looking at what David Stearns is doing, he's trying to do what the Astros have done. But the, they made that transition after he left because they were the top strikeout team while they were younger. when he was there. They were a younger team. I, well, but there. then he brought in I, a bunch of guys, or sorry, then uh, Luna brought in a bunch of guys to replace those. But that was after Stearns left. I would imagine that they had had conversations about how to target offensive guys a little bit before Stearns had left. Um, Obviously, but. Yeah. Right. And so, but if you look at what the Astros do, they target possession, uh, positional flexibility. They target guys who can hit for power and don't strike out. Right. They're not. And, and obviously they also have a lot of guys who can get on base just because, you know, the Astros are really good. And so if you look at every part of their entire organization, they're just really good. Hey, should we make but, our world series pick right now? <laughs> uh, and you might go back and find that there is an individual who did pick the Astros. Exactly. There was also an individual who said that the Phillies were going to be good this year, and that was Ryan Top. <laughs> and there was also an individual whose name is JP who said they were going to be terrible. So take Wait, that. Wait, I think you, you weren't you pro Braves though? Uh, I don't remember. I was also pro Twins, which turned out to be a really good choice. Um, <laughs> and well, everybody was on the Twins bandwagon because they went and spent. Pro pillaging the but Twins it roster. That. It just I didn't expect Byron Buxton to be an absolute train wreck, and didn't expect Miguel Sano to be sent to high A. Hold on, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't an interesting thing to point out. I think Sano was promoted to like Triple A, wasn't he? Yeah, good for it. The good, big for his development. <laughs> the teams that got a lot of praise in the offseason for not standing pat and adding players, uh, and adding around sort of the edges. The Twins got a lot of praise for that. The Brewers got praise for it. The Mets got a lot of praise for it because they actually went out and spent some money on complimentary players. Um, it doesn't always work out. You Apparently, know, it, it comes down to targeting the right guys. It is it amazing. Turns out the, the Heyman analysis of, did you do something, isn't great. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the Heyman it is, analysis of anything is not great. Sure. It is something, though, that the Brewers made the good moves of the offseason. When you look at Chassin, when you look at Kane, it's well, yeah, you know the Yelich trade, the Yelich trade. But there's guy? there's a lot of there's a lot of talk that like, oh, they didn't do enough. They should have gone for the bigger bigger names or something like that. And it's funny, kind of how those things work out. Well, it's it's also, um, and we had seen it with Machado happening, and everyone was saying that the Brewers were hoarding their prospects, and it turns out that they were just targeting deals that they felt were better. Right. I mean, that uh, that had better value to the team and being able to go in and make moves that you like rather than just making any move. Turns out to be a pretty good strategy. And some of the best moves that the Brewers made this past offseason were moves they didn't make. Yeah. Well, and at this point, I mean, 
it would be great to have Manny Machado, but would you rather have Manny Machado or would you rather have Moustakis and Corbin Burns still to try right. from the bullpen? Right. You know, yeah. because it seemed like it was going to take at a minimum Corbin Burns and that deal to get Machado. To get, yeah, that off the ground. And it turned out that th- that deal was probably, I don't know, would Burns have been the top I, end of that deal? I mean, I I know that. I assume that all of the talk about the Brewers being in on the Machado deal was legit. But the fact that we have heard from uh, Ken Rosenthal that the Brewers are still in very, very heavy conversations with the Orioles, first of all, makes me think uh, that my original thought that if they were going for Machado, it was Machado plus. It wasn't just Machado. Um, Well, yeah. And what are the deals? Was it Bratch that was just traded? Yeah, for international slot money going to Baltimore, which that's a hell of a switch from everything we've ever seen. They well, uh, but so I'm Baltimore, just saying Baltimore this year has signed exactly zero international players. And do you know who they're going to sign? Did you see this? Victor Squared. Um, no, they're wait Victor Victor, Victor Mesa. Oh, is that he, okay? I didn't realize. Yeah, so they're He's they're about to sign Victor. the top guy on the international market for the year, which after years of literally doing nothing on the international market, a bit of a switch. And the best way to go about it is to make the one biggest signing there is. Worked with the Brewers Absolutely. with Gilbert Lara. It did. It worked really well. Certainly so, worked with Pascal as well, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess ultimately, what are we expecting? Uh, the Mustakis putting Mustakis in the lineup. I guess what's your expectation now, Ryan? I think you've got a incredibly powerful lineup that is going to be hell on earth for left or for right-handed pitchers. Yeah. Um, for lefties, it's still a little bit, you know, you're going to see a lot of Hernan Perez. You're going to see a lot of Tyler Saladino against lefties because, you know, the three of the, or I'm sorry, four of the best five bats, six bats, sorry, four of the best six are now lefties. Pure lefty, not switch hitters, just pure lefty. And most of them outside of Yelich have a considerable platoon split. Yeah. JP, what do you think of this lineup when it gets back to Miller Park? It, well, it, it should be. Uh, people in the Miller, the Miller Lite beer pen should be apt. <laughs> yeah, bring um, your glove. Yeah. I think one of the things to note about Moustakis, um, and, and just bring it full circle back around to the, the K rate thing. Um, Mustakis doesn't he's he's one of the guys that doesn't strike out a lot but doesn't have a history of having a high batting average um and what that should tell you is he makes a lot of bad contact uh he's going to pop we, out I know we saw that lot. in the first game yeah he's gonna he's going to he is going to uh pop out in the infield a lot and he's roll going over to, he's gonna roll over a lot uh, but he can hit the ball hard as well. Um, so we get to try the entire philosophy that uh, putting the ball in play, even if the ball is hit like crap, uh, is more entertaining than a strikeout, which <laughs> I don't know. I guess I would much rather see somebody strike out uh, and be entertained by the pitch than watch like five people in a row hit 60 mile an hour ground outs to short. Well, I think the most important thing it does is it lengthens the lineup. We've been talking about this a lot. You, that six spot has been an absolute black hole. They have the worst six spot in the National League. And yes, I know you did your your mathematics on it. Yeah, I mean, so really, I, if, I looked so, it up so on fan graphs, but okay. Sh- so should they have uh, moved like Manny Pena to the second hole and moved like Christian Yelich down to the sixth spot so they got better? 
No. <laughs> oh. The problem was is that they legitimately, for most of the season, have had five good hitters when people haven't been hurt. But even then, they can yeah. kind of shuffle around. They've had five good hitters, and after that, you had second base, shortstop, and catcher that were not providing anything offensively. And now they have presumably done a big upgrade on that by getting Travis Shaw into the second base spot. Yeah. What it'll what be interesting. About, what do you think about um, his $15 million mutual option? Because that's, I don't, I feel like everybody's just been like, well, that's just not going to happen. But I didn't know what you guys. Yeah. One year, that. $15 million isn't a terrible investment. I guess the problem that I would see is just, you know, what do they feel about the makeup of the team? Like, Going into next season, do they feel like they have enough at-bats for everybody? Now, we've seen, you know, with the outfield, we were talking coming into the season, how do you get everybody at-bats? And that worked itself out. But I, I think, you know, is Travis Shaw a long-term second baseman? I mean, it's one thing to say you're going to play August and September at second base, but... Is he a long-term? Probably not. Yeah. Right, but, I mean, is that then an opportunity to try to move Travis Shaw? Could potentially be. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked I mean, if Travis Shaw I mean, got moved like, in the next what, couple days. Like, I, I would, mean, I'm not expecting really? it. I'm not expecting it, but I would not be shocked. It would have to be part of a deal for a really good pitcher, and they would also then have to do something else to lengthen the lineup again. Like, this is just you right, projecting yeah. your own ideas. This is coming from nowhere. Right. It's it's purely just just out of left field when like when ryan shocked me to when see when ryan's up too late on twitter by himself do i do i think that's going to happen no absolutely not but would it floor me like i'd never thought of it no because i've thought of it well <laughs> right but the whole problem is that you have to have like two other teams that want to do that um well like because who are you gonna get a second base brian dozier and uh um gibson from the twins would and you really involved in a deal? Going would you really want to give up that many years for a guy who would then would you'd have Mustakas for one year? Well, Gibson has two years after this, one or two years left after this. So you'd be trading so, for multiple years so, of Gibson. But Dozier would be gone. Dozier would be gone. So you'd and be then, losing that. And then you have a problem with, you know, the twin side of it where they're like, well, we still think that Miguel Sano is our third baseman. Yeah, that I mean, potentially that could be an issue. They could move things around other way otherwise and make that happen. No. I think I I'm the thrust of my question was, do you think both sides would want to pick up that $15 million option? Cause right. Historically mutual options don't happen because if, if Moustakis is like, well, if I can get $15 million now and the, the brewers think that that's a good idea to spend $15 million on it, I'm going to go and get $15 million a year for three years instead of one year. And I don't have a comp pick attached to me anymore, so I feel much more likely that I've got that. I and mean, most likely. Well, Moustakis was, was an interesting one because he he had one of the rough off-seasons. Like, he yeah, literally... He signed for, yeah, he signed for we, half he of had, what he would have gotten if he would have just accepted he the... He got $6 million this year. Yeah. I guess the way I could see it happening is if Moustakis did well with the Brewers and then they like won the world series or something stupid. Yeah. But if he does that well with the brewers, wouldn't he just say I can cash in on this? Potentially. I'm not saying he necessarily himself, if he does well, but not outstandingly, there would have to be kind of a sweet spot in there. Right. I mean, it like basically has to be where he does well enough that the brewers would want him next year, but he doesn't do well enough that he thinks he could actually go and do better on the open market. It'd be a really weird thing. So like my, 
my own feeling is that I don't see it happening. Well, okay, hold on. Uh, Keston Hira is the emerging player in that farm system. He's yep. a top five prospect on baseball prospectus. Um, yeah, he's number five. Yeah, wouldn't you just think like the Brewers are, you know, almost automatically going to, unless, unless Hira's elbow goes and he finally needs that Tommy John surgery. I mean, right. well, I mean, unless it's again, you're picking him up to move him. Right, either him or Travis Shaw, but then that's a really crappy thing to pick up a mutual option and say, "Sorry, we're going to trade you." There might be rules against it. I don't know. You were the one that advocated it before with uh, uh, what's his name? No, it the sometimes pitcher. is written into contracts. What's his name? It's sometimes Matt Garza. Written, it's see, I have already blocked Matt Garza from my brain. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, any, I don't want to think about him anymore. Are we going to answer any questions this week? Okay. So we have a Patreon question from Jeremy Reese. He says, I took a nap to watch some of the games tonight on Saturday. Uh, being a Brewers know. fan in the Eastern time, make, time zone makes it hard to watch West Coast games. Does it, JP? Uh, it depends on if you decide that you just should drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> there you go. Uh, watching the games got me thinking uh, with runs, with the run the team seems to be on and some and the new additions. Uh, do you feel the funk the team was in may be behind them? What do you think? Are we past the funk? Are we in the funk? Did they bring the funk? <laughs> <laughs> for for me, I I just think. It, there it's it's not really i don't think any kind of short-term deal over eight nine games whether it's good or bad means anything um i don't know not to bring like nihilist arby's in here and just to say what you know <laughs> nothing matters eat at arby's but uh, <laughs> but i think just like i had been saying prior to the all-star break that you can't like everyone saying that this team is collapsing needs to take a step back because you cannot make any long-term projections off of a week. You just can't. And it might feel terrible and it feels like they're never going to win again. It feels like they can't score and it feels like everyone's getting injured. And I know that, but we, we know this, that you can't project anything over seven games and it's exact same. Now you can't just because things are going well, doesn't mean that, you know, we can project it now just because it feels better. Um, no, and I had, I had brought this up, uh, the other day with somebody that prior to, well, if the Brewers lose uh, on Sunday here is they were lose there, they are losing at time of recording. Um, they will outside of may and the three games in, in March, because those were the, the Padres, um, they're exactly 500 over the course of the entire year outside of one month of play and, and three odd games. So the vast majority of it has just been a, a roller coaster ride. They've been good sometimes. They've been bad sometimes. They lose a couple of games. They win a couple of games. This is exactly who the team has been thus far, aside from one really good stretch in May. And I mean, they've been able to capitalize on it. You can't take those well, wins away that, from them, obviously. Hold on. That, that stretch right before the All-Star, All-Star break was exceptionally bad. To drop five to the Pirates in four days. I mean, yeah. and plus you had a loss, you know, coming out of the series before that. It was particularly but, stomach I mean, churning, but like I was gonna say, when's the last time that we've won a series in in uh, San Francisco? Oh, geez, Long, I don't know. A while. It's been a while. Like Ryan's the one I mean, that to, follows to that say stuff. that to say that you're over 500 against the Dodgers, the Nationals, and on the road against San Francisco, I don't feel like is any like I feel like that's a really good stretch. 
And to say that like that somehow is just kind of normal where them tanking against the pirates was like exceptionally bad. I'm not sure I'd buy that. That well, no, it it just felt really bad more than it anything. Did. Well, it, you it could, was that was that was a squad that needed a break. Sure, they they were on a run. Much where, like much like Jeremy, they needed a nap. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, they really did. So, yeah, no, um, I mean, legitimately, <laughs> we do have a Patreon question from Darren Jones. He asks, "If we knew that David Stearns had one more trade deadline day deadline day acquisition up his sleeve, what position would you want him to address?" Oh, I know Ryan's answer. And to take this. it a step further, which specific player would you want it to be? I'm, I even know the answer to that. I'm actually off that. I I went and looked at some baseball prospectus numbers. I've been saying oh. Nick Hundley over and over and over. Uh, you know, Nick Hundley has the, out of the 101 catchers that were listed for defensive purposes on baseball. He was ranked 102. Prospectus. He was ranked 99th. <laughs> there were two worse. And actually one of them was Wilson. Wilson Contreras was the absolute worst. But, uh, and Eric Kratz was ranked like 16th. So Eric Kratz is... Turns out there's a reason Eric Kratz keeps getting called up, and it's not just because he's a big man. Turn, yeah, turns out Eric Kratz is very good defensively and is... A this big, is a lot of stalling, so what do you want? I, I'm going to go with starting pitching, and I'm looking at the guys on the Orioles and the Mets. So Wheeler, Gaussman... Okay, so not a Degrom type trade. No, 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 no. Degrom, that's going to cost. It's going to cost you your the top end of the farm system, basically. JP, what's your pick? Uh, can I also give a pick that I do not want? Sure. I don't want Matt Harvey. Um, my pick for who I want them to get, to take is actually still sticking with uh Baltimore. I'd like to see them get uh, Mikel Givens, uh, another reliever trying to go forward just because uh, he's got an electric arm. He's controllable. And I think he is being ill served by the defensive capabilities of the Orioles behind him, much like a lot of the other pitchers in Baltimore. Um, but of course, if they went out and got Kevin Gaussman, I would, I would be a big fan just because uh, Kevin Gaussman has been a long time, um, long time favorite of mine. But I think that what the team needs right now is not necessarily uh anything outside of either top end guys in, in the rotation. Uh, and I don't think that they should pay for that or they need more elite arms in the bullpen so they can continue to take care, take advantage of the depth that they have in the starting rotation uh, and potentially who, move Corbin Burns to the rotation. I was going to say who goes out if uh, they get another bullpen arm. I think you see Corbin Burns move to, I would like to see Corbin Burns move to the rotation and, okay. and see um, potentially Wade Miley out um but i think there is a, a shout depending on how uh freddie peralta pitches next to see him go get a couple of starts in triple a which i know is kind of a vastly different opinion than we had a couple of weeks ago what are we planning with for zach davies at this point i think he needs it i think he's getting a full what is it you can have four rehab outings is that what it is four I think five that's what it is yeah. i think he's gonna get a full slate of them right because he had just gotten pulled back again he was set to go out on rehab and then had or he was on rehab had an issue they shut him down they went and did an mri they said it was clean but but that now, was a back issue which was weird yeah i don't i don't know i'm a, not it was a lower back issue i don't know is that like a compensation thing one of those compensation injuries i'm not absolutely 
I'm not counting on Davies for much of anything at this point. I think that both him and Nelson are whatever they might bring would be a bonus. I feel um, like Nelson. I feel like with Davies, they're trying to get it as close as they can to September, uh, so they can bring him. So they can bring him up as just a September call up, basically. Um, as far as Burns goes, do we believe they've been very vocal, both uh, both Council and Stearns, that he's a reliever this year? Do we believe that? I think as the team is currently constructed, probably. But I think if they are able to add another big arm to the bullpen, basically that takes care of what you brought up Corbett Burns to do. And then it gives you the flexibility to move him around a little bit. I mean, if you look at what Burns innings wise, they've gotten through by by having him in the bullpen and not using him to run out there five, six, seven innings starting the last month and a half or whatever it's been since they moved him. I think it was mid-June that they moved him. Um, they've now avoided that issue. So you could say that part of moving him to the bullpen was potentially to avoid an innings crunch where they could now at this point could very easily turn around and put him into the rotation and not have to worry about him running into some sort of innings limit in September or God willing, October. So I think that from that perspective, it's set up for him to potentially be able to do that. But whether or not they decide to pull the trigger on that, only they know. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another Patreon question from Michael Heitkamp. Uh, not really a question so much as a comment on the Moustakas trade and shifting Shaw to second. If the ne- next couple of weeks go extremely poorly for Shaw at second, uh, there may be a chance to add a more experienced second baseman. I don't know. Do we think that's going to happen? Like at this point, can they add another infielder? Well, I think his his point is that if Shaw is just a train wreck in August, can they add someone? I think it's a fair question. No, no, no. I think it's a fair question. But I'm just wondering, like roster wise, can they really add someone? Sure, they can. They can. Get well, I understand. I okay. You think it? I guess you know he he gave uh, Daniel Murphy. Who's Scarlett gonna Castro. go for Jonathan VR? VR is coming back soon. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that that's going to be Saladino. But then you don't really have a backup shortstop. Well, VR. I don't know. At what point do they say VR is a backup shortstop? I think that they would probably put Aaron and Perez there. You think they would put Perez at shortstop before they put VR? They w- They did not want to move VR to shortstop at all. I mean, if if now VR is just going to be basically a utility infielder, then maybe. Is VR utility infielder? I don't know. That's why I said no. Okay. Well, I mean, you do like we see them? Dis- you tried to like dissuade me from my point to come back and make an objection that was like <laughs> yeah. my original point. Okay. He does that well. <laughs> he does that really well. Uh, Murphy, Castro. It's not Shoop. Scope. Scope. Uh, scope baby. out in Baltimore. Um, those are guys who could be waiver trades. Uh, and they could possibly claim I, them. I do not think that scope would clear waivers whatsoever. You know who um, would probably clear waivers? Neil Walker. Daniel Murphy. Oh. 17 and a half million. He's flying through waivers. So the, I was actually, before they you, made you this really move. really think so? Before they made the move for, for Moustakis, I was thinking maybe they just kind of play this out and see if something happens for them with second base. Knowing really that they that could potentially grab Murphy, Daniel Murphy, would somebody pick him up to block it? 
that's a big, that's a spicy meatball if you, you do that and it doesn't work. Well, but can't Why? you basically pick it up and then not work out a deal? No, they can dump them on you if they want for the entire amount. That's why teams don't. So if if he were to be if you were to do that in mid August, he'd presumably still have like do that. six or seven left. So I mean, if the, if the, the Nationals problem, are bad, they will. But you don't think somebody problem. close to the Brewers would pick him up, and if he just gets dumped on them, they take him like somebody outside of the Central. Well, who's, part of the problem is Daniel Murphy is good. Why? Why? What is the argument that somebody would not want him? Well, he has been. Uh, injured a lot this year, and his overall numbers are well, not. It doesn't matter when, great. if he was injured earlier, as long as he's playing at the time. Well, he's also been like we saw against the Brewers. They yanked him from the lineup at the last second because he was banged up. He's an older guy who is. You would need him for two up. months. Right, and you'd be paying like six million for that two months. Who cares? I'm just saying that it's not my money. That's why the Brewers have so much room for in the in their payroll that they can take care of it. If you're a playoff team, you know you're going to be cashing in on that check as well. That it doesn't matter how much you're going to be paying for. Yeah, if they get it in August. That's they get in August. Who cares? That's not my point. My point is that that's why he would get through waivers to the Brewers. I'm not saying the Brewers couldn't take it. I think they can. I'm saying that he would get to the Brewers on waivers because the teams behind them, remember, the Dodgers are ahead of them and presumably to stay there. The Cubs are ahead of them. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. But would the Cubs pick up Murphy and his $6 million when they're up against the luxury tax now? I don't think. Just to block him when they have a billion and a half second baseman? Like, I mean, it's just a, to block the Brewers. No, I don't think they would do that. It's a race right now. I mean, they'd be justified in basically paying to keep a guy away from the Brewers. I mean, it's not like you're talking about they have a, a five, happen. six game lead or something right now and looking so to run would, away with it. What contending teams would have to pass on Daniel Murphy in order for him to get there? Um, I don't. I don't really know how going in in the reverse standings of because it goes through the National League first, I believe. Got it. So uh, so the Rockies would would have a shot at him and and DJ LeMahieu has been uh, hurt. A they lot. could take him. The Rockies uh, could. Yeah, says someone who uh, has him in fantasy baseball. I say the uh, Diamondbacks then just also added ha- Cabrera. Yeah, but he can play a ton of positions. There's no reason that uh, that they need to be able to pigeonhole him. I mean, he could play there. You could, you then have uh, the Cardinals could do it just to be jerks. That'd be funny. Um, <laughs> and but then and that would be in character. <laughs> the, the Pirates could take them. Pirates have ample uh, ample payroll space. They could absolutely use somebody at second base, which I imagine right now has been uh, Harrison, right? Uh, yeah, but, Harrison had been on the DL again, early in the he season. Can play a bunch of positions, right? So that's not going to necessarily be a problem. And if you put Daniel Murphy at first base, then Josh Bell has been underwhelming, and you don't necessarily have. And to make Josh that Bell one. is now hurt. There you go. Got hurt yesterday. So um, I think that there are a lot of teams that are willing to pay six million dollars uh, in order to take somebody who's actually a good hitter. Mm, budgets are less flexible this time of year than I think generally is assumed, especially for mediocre teams. I'm not going to agree with that, but that's fine. Okay. Okay. We want to do one more legit question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Charlie Robolewski, uh, he asks, how much is shifting impacting possession, positional flexibility in today's game? 
Uh, it seems like Travis Shaw playing second base was discovered through him playing in that area during shifts, but it could also be a massive coincidence. So how much is the ability to put Shaw at second just a function of they feel they can put him in the right place? I think that certainly what the organization is saying. I don't necessarily know how true that is. I think they've seen him enough on that side to be able to feel comfortable with him during uh, kind of BP sessions and things like that. But again, we've said it multiple times. We've said this with Braun as well. The, the issue is not whether or not he can field at second base. The issue is whether or not he's going to be able to have the footwork to not basically impale his leg trying to do something at second base. And that's not something I think shifting is going to matter with. Um, I, but I, I do take the point that shifting um, not only gives you the ability to potentially hide some fielders a little bit, uh, depending on what you want to be able to do with the shortstop. I think it can help you find guys who can play and throw at different arm angles a lot more and just get used to playing different positions in the field. Um, but in terms of being able to play a position like second base and deal with all the footwork and all of the different things that happen around the actual bag, I don't think uh, shifting does too much to help with that. But so my answer to that is um, is maybe a little bit, but I don't think it's the fundamental driving piece behind it. I think, you know, David Stern's talked about that when they made the Moustakas trade. And one of the things he said is we move our infielders around so much that we don't deploy them in anything like a standard fashion, the way people think of them. Anyway, we look at them as being much more flexible and interchangeable already than, you know, people have in the past. So it, this is just a continuing, a continuing thing in baseball. And the Brewers have been among the more aggressive teams in shifting. And that goes back to Doug Melvin and Ron Renick. Hell, it goes back to Ned Yost. I mean, they were running, the Brewers were one of the more aggressive shifting teams in the National League in the mid-2000s. And they, they were ones who, Travis Sawchuk wrote about in his book, Big Data Baseball. The Brewers kind of led the way on this in 2011. They shifted more than anybody had ever shifted. Who was the coach, the bench coach at the time? Uh, the original bench coach who did a lot of that shifting was, oh man, um, I can't remember. It was the Narens when it was Renicky. Yeah, no, it was, it was one of that. the Narens. JP, do you remember? Rich Dower. Was it Dower? It might have been Dower. Uh, Dower was on Yost's bench, right? Way, way back when. Yeah, but they were they were in that frame back then too. But in 2011, they the Brewers kind of led the way on this. And then the Pirates picked up and went even further with it in 2013, I think, when they had their first uh, playoff run. Um, and the way that we look at positions now is probably more antiquated than the way teams look at them. I think teams look at them as being much more flexible and fluid than what we do. I and mean, we've seen the Brewers do things that were seemingly ridiculous, albeit in short stints this year. We, last Saturday night, we saw Jesus Aguilar play third. I mean, come on. But like, who doesn't is, want a brick wall out there? I will say that, like, taking this outside of the the baseball context, right? Like, we have started to see baseball teams think of positions uh, in a much more flexible fashion. We see this in soccer all the time. Uh, formations, positions are well, very, very you fluid. Do. They move all the time. Well, you definitely do not. Correct. <laughs> I, I see it in uh, soccer. It's also um, in, in American in, football. Well, Ameri I was gonna say football in, Americano. In I was going to say in basketball, it's one of the biggest things right now too. I mean, you've got Giannis 
playing, uh, you know, uh, point it's guard. You've got... It's pronounced Giannis. If you lived Is here, it? you'd know that. <laughs> if I know, <laughs> I was going to make a joke about uh, taco shops. Um, <laughs> uh, so I other, think other it, national news out of Milwaukee. <laughs> so, I, so I think uh, you start to see this in 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 all sports right now is that versatility is valued so much more highly than it ever has been. And that guys are expected to be able to handle a lot of different positions. I do wonder if you'll start to see like, this is kind of down the road, but if you start to work out somebody like Mustakas and, and Shaw at second base enough that you can see what they're good at, could you see them switch positions in the middle of an inning? Oh, sure. And start doing some walks. Well, it's not technically the walks swap, but it, that general idea. Just start flipping guys around. I mean, right. We saw the Cubs do this with like the pitchers and sending them to left field and everybody was really annoyed by it. But could you start to see, you know, like if a lefty comes up, could you see that Orlando Arcia moves to second base? I mean, we're already seeing. Oh, well, but I mean, we're already seeing where Shaw as a third baseman last week, I, I watched this a bunch. He would shift over. Sometimes he would shift over in between the shortstop and the second baseman. Sometimes he would shift over between the second baseman and the first baseman when he would move over, he was moving over to differing places on those shifts, uh, even, you know, just a week ago. So right. I think that's already, we're already kind of seeing that when guys are moving around and being redeployed on the infield, it's all, it's something we're already seeing. It's just not them switching gloves or something, which they don't have to do. Cause you know, the only, right. The only, the only unique infielder glove is the first base glove. Well, there are ones that have different lengths. But if you're, you would play with the same glove if you're at, like Travis Shaw doesn't have a second baseman's glove and a third baseman's no. glove. No, but it I depends on what it is though, right? Because at second base, uh, occasionally you start to see some guys have really short gloves because they don't want to have really long webbing where it can get stuck in it. And so depending on where you are, but that's more of a personal feel thing. That's not like the same sort of, uh, yeah. the same sort of thing between, you know, like a catcher's mitt or the first baseman's glove or something like that. Steve's yeah. like super annoyed, so we're gonna let him continue. No, I'd be fine with talking about the length of gloves for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> I was gonna say, I saw your eyes glaze over, and you were like, you were like, my God, just shut up. Well, I shouldn't and go then, into it. I was looking for a new glove this spring, and I was like comparing lengths for position uses, and but I wasn't gonna get into it. You're okay, Babe, Babe Ruth, of the local uh, softball league, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So it's crazy what happens. Actually, you know what? We, I play in an over 35 league. It was better in some of the, than some of the open leagues I was playing in because I think anybody who plays softball nowadays is freaking old. <laughs> it's the only people left playing it. Well, so. yeah, because all those damn millennials are playing kickball. They're playing kickball or they play co-ed leagues. Man, sure. we, we, just had, uh, we just had a faculty and graduate student softball game uh, a couple months ago against the undergraduate majors was craig council there <laughs> he wasn't surprising not a history major um but he's an alum but he is an alum so he did, did he, wait did he graduate Does council I, have his degree i think they'd let him back i think yeah i think they would count him um but the best players on the team were like so a couple of us had like actually played some baseball before and were competent enough. And so, you know, we were fine. But then um, like uh, the other guys that were really good on the team were like 50 year old professor, like guy professors who like play in bar leagues. 
Yeah. They're just look really that's, good. Yeah. That, those are the kind of guys that are still playing. So, but hey. then we also had, we also had a professor who only knew how to play cricket and play the outfield without a glove and was awesome. <laughs> that would <laughs> like be great. Two barehanded catches. That would be great to see. I'd love yeah. to see that. So Ryan, are you going to sing, uh, sing us out? Cause, uh, our buddy Paul Noonan, uh, sent in the lyrics. Absolutely. For the, 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 I don't even know what tune this is to. You don't know the, the song Hooch? But he adjusted it, so now it's Moose. No, I'm not for doing the trade. That. Oh, okay. I am not doing that. I'll see if I can find it. If you heard it, you'd know it. I yeah, I off. I'm sure I've heard the song. I just off the top of my head, it doesn't ring a bell. If I can find it, possibly that'll play us out today because that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can f- join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Baby, who got the only sweetest thing?